Good morning. Today's reading is taken from John's Gospel at chapter 15. And if you're using the Red Church Bibles, it can be found on page 1083. John chapter 15, starting at verse 9. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, saying, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. I think I was 15 when, as a family, we first visited mainland Europe. We'd never taken holidays abroad before, but my parents uh, booked us on the ferry and um, booked us into a campsite just north of Paris. And uh, you can imagine uh, that my siblings and I were very excited about this trip. Uh, to start with, I was really excited about visiting the palace at Versailles, although it's a little bit like visiting the Trump Tower in New York, if you've ever done that. It's very big and very shiny, and after a while, there's only so much, wow, this is big and shiny, you can really cope with. What made a much bigger impression on me was a journey we took up the Champs-Élysées. So um, that great avenue that you can see running through uh, the heart of Paris uh, runs from uh, the Place de la Concorde uh, in the sort of southeast. You can see perhaps, if you've got great eyes, uh, a little obelisk there. Uh, and then it runs northwest uh, all the way up to what was called, used to be called the Place de la Toile, the place of the stars, now called uh, Place Charles de Gaulle. Uh, and as you travel up that, uh, up the Champs-Élysées, you eventually come to what is in, a, in essence a massive roundabout. That is the Place de l'Etoile. And it's called that because uh, from it radiates uh, these, all these different avenues going throughout Paris, uh, like rays coming off from a star. Uh, and I was very impressed uh, by this place because my mum told me that it's the one place in Europe where car insurance doesn't apply. It's so dangerous going around this roundabout uh, that apparently, you know, if you have a prang, that's your problem. And right in the middle uh, of the roundabout uh, stands this great stone edifice, Lac de Triomphe. Uh, And um, it's pretty imposing. It stands there at the sort of top of this uh, small hill. 
And you can climb up inside uh, and stand on the top and look out across Paris. You can look back down the Champs-Élysées uh, all the way uh, to uh, Place de la Concorde and, and beyond to the great Parisian museums and palaces. Uh, and you can see all around Paris. It's quite stunning. But as we came back down the steps, we came uh, to the foot of Lark, where there is, it's almost like a window in the pavement, just a big sheet of glass, uh, and underneath it is a flame. The eternal flame, they call it. It was lit in 1921 and has burned ever since. And it is a memorial to the unknown soldier. Perhaps you know that many, many uh, young men died in the fields of France and uh, Belgium uh, in the First World War who were never identified. Uh, and both in Westminster Abbey and uh, at Lac Triomphe in, in Paris, uh, one such young man was buried with full military honours, sort of to stand in for all of them. And so there is this tomb of the unknown soldier, and there in the pavement burns the eternal flame of memory. And as we stood and looked at this, I sort of, I was 15, I looked at it and I thought, oh look, there it is. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. And I turned around to look at my father. And he was ashen. He was utterly speechless. He couldn't speak. I asked him what was wrong. He, he couldn't tell me. Tears just ran down his face. There was something about standing at that monument to the terrible loss faced by so many, by so many families during the two great wars of Europe and the world that struck him very deeply. I imagine the same may be true for us. Actually, we find Remembrance Day very powerfully affecting Actually, whether or not we have lost loved ones in conflict, although obviously that would make it especially poignant. And as I stood next to my dad, I wondered, what, what is it that makes this so overpowering for you, Dad? You know, it's quite a moment as a 15-year-old boy to see your father overcome in that kind of way. You know, he'd always been the sort of pillar of strength, the sort of you know, wise, strong, powerful man. And just to see him overcome like that. What is it about remembrance that strikes that chord deep inside us? I think part of the answer lies in the story of one well, he was a soldier, but not the ordinary kind who died in the First World War. Uh, he grew up in Oxford. I used to cycle on my way to school. I used to cycle past the house he grew up in. Uh, and uh, indeed, he went to the same school that I went to. His name was Noel Chavas. He was a doctor. He was a member of the Royal Army uh, Medical Corps, uh, which is why I say he was a soldier, but not the ordinary kind. He never picked up a gun. But nonetheless, he was the most decorated officer 
indeed the most decorated soldier in the whole of the First World War. He's the only person who won the Victoria Cross twice in that war and one of only three to win it twice in the history of the medal. Uh, General Sir Peter de Billiere uh, wrote a, uh, a story of the Victoria Cross uh, on its 150th anniversary, uh, and he devotes a whole chapter to Noel Chavez, and I'll, I'll read an, an excerpt from it in a moment. But just to tell his story, uh, his father moved from Oxford to be the Bishop of Liverpool, uh, and so he joined up with, uh, as, a, as a medic with the Liverpool Scottish Regiment. Uh, and uh, immediately uh, he devoted himself to the care of uh, those uh, that he was serving, did everything he could to uh, make their life uh, that bit more comfortable and easier. Uh, his frequent requests for aid led to, to one um, uh, lady uh, in, in, in a church in Liverpool sending uh, a whole caseload of petticoats uh, to his uh, regiment because when she realised that they wore kilts, she was worried that they would be cold in the Belgian winter. Um, more practically, he, he managed to organise people to, to knit socks and send them out. He managed to get a, a cow for his regiment so that they could have uh, fresh milk. He, he, he was always looking after uh, the men he was with, but from the very first, he uh, was putting his life in danger in order to uh, try to rescue... Uh, men from the regiment who were wounded and lying in no man's land uh, or even right up against enemy lines. He won his military cross on June the 27th of 1915 uh, for uh, actions uh, around uh, the Somme. And then a year later, on the 8th of August, uh, his actions led to the award of his first Victoria Cross. The citation in the London Gazette for that medal reads as follows. During an attack, he tended the wounded in the open all day under heavy fire, frequently in view of the enemy. During the ensuing night, he searched for wounded on the ground in front of the enemy's lines for four hours. Next day, he took one stretcher bearer to the advanced trenches and under heavy fire carried an urgent case for 500 yards into safety, being wounded in the side by a shell splinter during the journey. Same night, he took a party of trusty volunteers, rescued three wounded men from a shell hole 25 yards from the enemy's trench, buried the bodies of two officers, and collected many identity discs, although fired on by bombs and machine guns. Altogether, he saved the lives of some 20 badly wounded men, beside the ordinary cases which passed through his hands. His courage and self-sacrifice were beyond praise. A young man, 31 constantly putting his life in danger to save the lives of others. It's absolutely astonishing that he lasted uh, as long as he did. Um, it, it is remarkable that that first Victoria Cross was not awarded posthumously. Part of the reason might be that he was an extremely good athlete. Uh, and that distance he covered carrying uh, that one particular wounded casualty was uh, almost exactly the distance that he ran in the 1908 Olympics. He put everything he had, all his strength, all his gifts, to the service of others and willingly risked his life time and again. 
So that 361 days later, on the 4th of August, that was at the Somme, this was at the Battle of Passchendaele. He he did almost exactly the same sorts of things, although he was wounded four times in the course of 48 hours, every single one of those wounds being serious enough that he could have been taken away from the lines and to safety, but he refused to leave the care of those entrusted to him. Eventually, a shell entered the dressing station where he was right on the line uh, and uh, he received an abdominal wound so bad that he died from it two days later. The citation for that Victoria Cross said he probably won it four times in that action. He's buried near to where he died at Fashendale, a town called Wiltshire. Uh, he's buried at Brantook and uh, this is his uh, grave in that small military cemetery. I don't know whether you can read it from where you're sitting, but at the bottom, at the bottom, is quoted our reading this morning. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's in an older translation. Greater love hath no man than that he should lay down his life for his friends. You see, I think that the reason these stories move us so is that they echo this deeper story, the human story the divine story of how it is that God himself has entered into history to bring us to himself. When I turned to my dad that day at the Place de l'Etoile, once he finally regained the power of speech through chokes and sobs, he said to me, I think it's just the idea that they gave their lives for us. Jesus is speaking about himself when he says, greater love has no one than to lay down their life for their friends. He says these words shortly before his own death. Notice what he says to his disciples first. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I have loved you. He commands them to love like him, and we'll come to that in a moment. But he says, I have loved you, and this is what love looks like. Now, our ideas about love in our culture are pretty confused, I think. One of my daughters really got me with a joke once. I wasn't expecting it. She said, Dad, why should you never marry a tennis player? She said, well, love means nothing to them. That's a good one. But our understanding of what love is is quite confused. Matt Hancock, trying to launder his reputation on I'm a Celebrity, described the extraordinary affair he carried on during a lockdown that he had imposed. And, and the, his betrayal of his wife in doing that 
He said, I couldn't help it. I was in love. And often we hear love and we think it's this sort of power that sweeps over us and causes us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. But what Matt Hancock is talking about when he talks about love in those kind of terms is the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here. Because what Matt Hancock is actually saying is there is something I wanted so much I was willing to throw everyone else and everything else away in order to have it. But when Jesus talks about love, he is talking about the kind of other person-centered, self-giving love that we see displayed in the life of someone like Noel Chavaz, who willingly and for nothing in return gave his own life, his very blood, for the sake of others. Now, if you know the Christian story, you know that right at its heart stands a cross. And that hanging on that cross is the eternal son of God himself, the one who created the universe just by speaking. The one to whom is owed all glory and honor. The one who, if he wanted it, could just have everything. But instead he gave it all up. He gave himself up. He died on a cross. He let his blood flow. Because he loves you. Noel Shavas's story moves us so much, I think in part because it, it echoes, it resonates. It's on the same frequency as the love of Jesus Christ himself, as the love of the God who made us and gave himself for us. So when you see a poppy and you remember... It is absolutely right to give thanks for the lives of every single one of those people who gave their tomorrow for your today. But as you do that, actually there's the opportunity to look even further beyond that to the God who humbled himself and gave himself for you. It is an almost unbelievable thing that that is the story that stands at the heart of human history. But that cannot leave us, if we are Christian people, that cannot leave us unchanged. Notice what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I mean, what depth there is in in those very words. God the Father loved the Son from eternity. And Jesus says, just as he has loved me, I've loved you. You're caught up into the very love that's at the heart of reality. But then what he says next is this. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. To be drawn up into those relationships of love is to mirror them, for them to flow through you, for them to change how you are. So the end of the passage, this is my command, love one another. Peter de Billier comments on the fact that most Victoria Cross winners are people of deep religious faith. It's a fascinating thing for him to note in his book. This is what Noel Chavas's father, the Bishop of Liverpool, said in a letter shortly after his son died. Oh, my dearest boy. He was indeed a hero. And as you say justly, 
He was a man of valour because he was a man of God. Continually, your dear mother and I thank and glorify God for such a son and for his wonderful and beautiful life spent in helping others and crowned at last by his noble death for the sure and certain hope that he is with Christ. He was indeed a hero, as you say justly. He was a man of valour because he was a man of God. So you see, the poppy represents to us not just an opportunity to remember, not just a reminder that we have been loved, but actually a reminder that we too are to love, that our lives should be shaped in this way, by this kind of self-giving, other-person-centred love. Frank Shavash, Bishop of Liverpool, could say of his son, he was a man of valour because he was a man of God. I wonder, would people look at my life, would people look at our lives and say, you can tell that Nick, you can tell that this person has received the love of God because of the way that they show love to others, the way that they are self-giving and other person-centered. In that sense, I think the poppy represents a challenge as well as cause for thanks. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is the highest challenge imaginable, isn't it? Love one another as I have loved you. Holding nothing back. Giving everything for the sake of the other. Imagine... Just imagine the impact that we as a church would have on this great city of Brighton and Hove if every single one of us took that to heart. If we genuinely were able to live as people who love each other as Jesus Christ has loved us. Holding nothing back. Giving everything for the sake of the other. see, that is the fundamental challenge that Jesus presents us with here in John 15. It's the fundamental challenge that resulted in the glorious self-giving actions of Noel Shavas. And it will be, if we let it, the glory of this place that we love as he loved us.